At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is Finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Dementia J. Trump's dementia is so obvious now that in one of the most remarkable, unexpected, startling, counterintuitive pieces of polling data I have ever seen, the future of democracy, the future of the nation, the future of planetary climate may depend on convincing as many voters as possible as unbelievable as this sounds it may all depend on convincing as many voters as possible not that joe biden isn't too old but convincing as many voters as possible that biden and trump are both too old in other words the biden campaign slogan should literally be my old man can beat up your old man Because buried in the New York Times article, the first one there to acknowledge that Trump's cheese whiz is actually rapidly and alarmingly sliding off his cracker, and now down a flight of stairs, there is polling that indicates that 43% of American voters believe they are both too old, yet those people who believe they are both too old intend to vote for Joe Biden in a landslide. I will give you the background, including the fact that Trump has just shown he doesn't know where he is, nor when it is, plus the by itself startling realization that dementia J. Trump's dementia is now so obvious that even the Times has sat up and taken notice. And I will explain how a proxy court battle over what is likely to happen to Trump when he really violates the newly reinstated Chutkin gag order has ended in in in-court violence and the immediate jailing of the defendant and how that is also terrible news for Trump. But first, this mind-blowing polling. It is in paragraph 14 in a watershed moment in the Times' Herculean eight-year effort to maintain the both-sidesist nonsense that Trump's brain isn't defective. That false narrative has apparently actually lost in some kind of mano-a-mano combat inside the Times newsroom against its both-sidesist decree that if it writes about Biden in age and mental alacrity, uh, the Times had damn well better write about Trump's. And that's when the Times found out that the Associated Press conducted a national poll in August, but did not report this result. And the Times piece is apparently the first time this poll has seen the light of day. How many American voters feel both Biden and Trump are, quote, too old to effectively serve another four-year term as president? According to this August AP poll, 43%. And what are they going to do about that? 
among this huge swath of the voting public that thinks they are both too old, 61% said they plan to vote for Biden. 13% said they plan to vote for Trump. I hate the cliche, let that sink in. But for God's sakes, let that sink in. 61 to 13. Biden leads Trump 61 to 13 among those who think they are both too old. Biden is winning the too old vote. Biden is cleaning Trump's stopped clock in the too old vote. Biden's age is not only not a negative, it is in the context of people who think they are both too old, an absolute unmistakable asset. It could be the decisive issue in the election. The more people who believe both Biden and Trump are too old, the likelier a Biden win. The closer it gets to 50 percent, 60 percent, 100 percent, the likelier a Biden landslide. Because this is not the first time this almost unbelievable conclusion has shown up in polling. The Franklin and Marshall poll last week had Biden and Trump tied in Pennsylvania. But the number of voters in Pennsylvania who think they're both too old is the same as the number in the AP national poll, 43 percent. And in Pennsylvania, it's the same damn thing, only more so. 66% of the both too old voters are going Biden, 11% going Trump. The insight here, the advice, the shaping of strategy, again, counterintuitive though it might be, it's not exactly complicated. If you can get the they are both too old number in Pennsylvania, just in Pennsylvania, to go from 43%, to 44%, you have just converted 1% of the vote. And I know statistically it's not this simple, but this is still somewhat valid. You have just converted 1% of the vote from a 50-50 split to, at minimum, 66-34 Biden. Now, bear with me a little on the back of the envelope math here. The 2020 presidential vote total in Pennsylvania was 6,915,283 votes. 1% of that is 69,153 votes. Right now, there is some group totaling 1% of all Pennsylvanians that is going at this point 34,576 for Biden, 34,576 for Trump. If you can convince that 1% that they're both too old, all of a sudden, how they will vote will change. They become instead a minimum of 45,640 for Biden and a maximum 23,513 for Trump. You just moved 22,000 votes from Trump to Biden. If you could get the percentage of people in Pennsylvania who believe they are both too old from 43% to just 48%, if you could grow it by just that 5%, you would swing a minimum of 110,000 votes from Trump to Biden. In 2020, Joe Biden won Pennsylvania by 80,000 votes. This is worth 110,000. It is literally true that the re-election of the President of the United States, and thus the preservation of American democracy, and thus the continued criminal prosecution of Trump and his cult, and thus the potential saving of the planet because the critical climate decisions would be made not by a madman like Trump, but by Biden, all of that could rest on simply convincing as little as 5% of American voters, not that Joe Biden is miraculously younger than he seems, not that he's fit as a fiddle, not that 81 is the new 61, but simply that both Biden and Trump are too old. The entire Biden age issue is irrelevant. It's the Biden and Trump age issue, and therefore the Trump age issue that is decisive. And that target is moving rapidly for Dementia J. Trump, albeit off a cliff, because it is fair to ask if Trump could still understand any of this. 
since in the last 48 hours he has literally not known where he is nor what year this is. We begin in Sioux City, Iowa. A very big hello to a place where we've done very well, Sioux Falls. Thank you very much, Sioux Falls. And thank you. So, Sioux City. Did you hear it? Did you hear the guy whispering, you're in Sioux City? He could have told him he was in Sioux Sioux Studio. That's Trump not knowing where he is. This is him not knowing when it is. 12.42 a.m. Eastern yesterday. Why didn't they file the lawsuits and indictments against me three years ago? 7.32 a.m. Eastern yesterday, as if he'd forgotten the one seven hours earlier. Why didn't they start the indictment and court cases three, parentheses, three years ago? 7.39 a.m. Eastern yesterday, as if he'd forgotten the one he'd written seven minutes earlier. If they started the highly political indictments three years ago, Three years ago was October 31st, 2020. It was a Saturday. The nearest holiday was Halloween later that day. The president was, anybody remember who the president was three years ago today? Trump. The election, which Trump could still legitimately claim he had not yet lost, was three days away. The inauguration was 82 days away. And Trump either does not know when all that was, or he does not know when today is, or he can no longer handle big math problems like 2023 minus 3 equals what, Donald? Or all of the above. And this finally, is no longer just wishful thinking on our part. Whatever threshold the Sioux City mess crossed, it opened the spigot at the New York Times. Quote, It was strikingly similar to a fictional scene that Mr. Trump acted out earlier this month, pretending to be Mr. Biden mistaking Iowa for Idaho and needing an aide to straighten him out. Yeah, except this one actually happened. The Times then went on to empty its Trump gaffe file. It has actually cited Trump telling his voters not to bother to vote and Trump twice claiming he won election over Obama and Trump praising Hezbollah and Trump slamming Israel and Trump saying we were on the verge of World War II and Trump claiming he was leading Obama in the 2024 polls, and Trump not only praising Hungarian dictator Orban, but claiming he was Turkish dictator Orban, and all the times Trump's called Hamas hummus. Times left out the speech in which Trump forgot why FDR gave his speeches sitting down, and when he concluded he was the first person to realize that the letters U and S could spell us or U.S., but the Times put pretty much everything else in there, and I read it, and for a second I felt like crying and saying, I reported all that too. I thought I was alone. I'm not alone. In a too-little-too-late gesture, the Times also let his gradually vanishing Republican rivals have shots at the gaff pinata into which Trump is rapidly transforming. It quoted DeSantis. It quoted Nikki Haley. Let me remind you, with all due respect, I don't get confused. Having met her, I would not put money on that, but you get the point. So now what to do with this? Momentum towards the realization that Trump is falling apart faster than a three for $129 suit. Relief that you not only don't have to try to bury the fact that Joe Biden does turn 81 three weeks from yesterday. And the discovery that this entire issue is yours, not theirs. And then the icing on the cake or the whipped cream on the jello. There already is somebody out there on the campaign trail emphasizing the point that Trump is rapidly unraveling. Somebody already trying to drive home what is now the message democracy craves. The message 
that they are both too old. The messenger of this gospel is this guy. Colleges and universities will purge the anti-Semitism and pro-terrorism. Terror, uh, what, what you're doing, the terrorism. You know, now that I think of it, my old man can beat up your old man is the absolute goddamned best campaign slogan Joe Biden could ever have this year. And he ought to grab it and run with it. And if you know anybody in the White House or on the campaign or in the hierarchy of the Democratic Party, you ought to call or email them about this polling and about my old man can beat up your old man today. Because, frankly, I'm not getting any younger over here. Back to Trump. And with Tanya Chutkin's gag order reinstated, the possibility that when Dementia J blatantly violates it, the judge will actually put him in jail. What the impeccable Scott McFarlane of CBS News aptly describes as a proxy battle on the gag order itself has now played out before Judge Paul Friedman of the U.S. District Court in D.C., and they evidently came this close to having to use a taser on the guy who, in the analogy, is standing in for Trump. Former Gallaudet University student Vitaly Goschankowski had been found guilty on several counts of assaulting police officers during the January 6th coup attempt and even using a taser or similar electrical device on those officers. He was out on bail while he awaited sentencing. And then two weeks ago, this guy began to start sending threatening and anti-Semitic text messages with racist chasers, and just to push it to 11, a series of doxing threats to the cell phone of one of the FBI men involved in his prosecution. Something approaching a dozen of these really horrific, and I might add, horrifically written texts. Judge Friedman called Goschenkowski's texts extremely troubling and dangerous. And in the first direct link to what Trump could face, the judge added that rarely is it, quote, people in public life themselves who pose the threats to agents or prosecutors or judges, but, quote, their followers. He then ordered Goschenkowski to jail. And Goschenkowski, who has profound hearing loss, began in response to emit guttural moaning noises. And when a court officer went to cuff him and lead him away, Goschenkowski managed to push the officer around, knock over a computer, topple a table. Eventually, at least four other officers came in to subdue him. A crowd finally got him under control, and it is unclear if he will face additional charges for what he did in the courtroom. Now, it would seem unlikely that Trump would go public with the kind of anti-Semitic and racist terms mixed with threats of rape that this scumbag follower did. Also, if there's an altercation in court, I don't know that it's going to take four people to subdue Trump. However, as noted above, he is deteriorating. And though in the immediate wake of the reinstatement of the gag order at dinner time Sunday, he seemed to reel his madness back in briefly, it did not last long. Yesterday morning, he called Judge Chutkin a true Trump hater, incapable of giving me a fair trial, and, quote, diagnosed with a major and incurable case of something that Trump calls Trump derangement syndrome. A quick additional note to the Biden campaign. I think you can do something with this phrase, Trump derangement syndrome, like Trump is deranged syndrome. Trump, of course, added a stochastic postscript, as he always does, quote, this will not stand. And Trump also threatened President Biden about prosecution, quote, you're setting a bad precedent for yourself, Joe. The same can happen to you. And called the president my sleazebag opponent. Saturday night, Trump had attacked another likely witness in the case, former Attorney General Barr. Although the gag order was not in effect at that moment, it seems unbelievable that Trump could restrain himself from repeating those taunts or the ones against Mark Meadows. Although this might provide less fodder for jailing Trump than for boosting the they're both too old number. 
The New York Post quoted Barr as saying that Trump's, quote, verbal skills are very limited. And Trump promptly retorted, since the New York Post went bad on Trump, their numbers have fallen. And of course, Trump misspelled there. Truly, a sea of troubles is also rising around Trump. Judge Chutkin will also have to decide now on a long shot suit by several media outlets to televise the election subversion trial. The solicitation of opinions from each side in this case is itself a Procrustean bed for Trump. His ego could not possibly let him absolutely oppose the prospect of being shown on all channels all the time for weeks in the middle of the campaign for free, especially while he is being persecuted and martyred and whatever else he has convinced himself is really happening. On the other hand, even Trump or somebody close enough to put a symbolic gag order around him will be able to recognize that there is one fatal flaw in pushing for a new TV crossover between The Apprentice and America's Most Wanted. The flaw is Trump would not control the cameras. The 14th Amendment disqualification trial is underway in Denver. Day one was mostly preamble. The plaintiffs presented Congressman Eric Swalwell, who was there, and an officer injured on January 6th, and not just video from the coup, but Trump's own words. Trump's attorneys apparently decided that the best defense is a good mockery. Quote, I don't even know where to begin on this one, said Trump attorney Scott Gessler. How do we cross-examine any of this evidence that contains speculation and opinion? This characterizes or exemplifies the very worst aspects of the January 6th commission. The Guardian reports from the Fonnie Willis trial in Atlanta that while Jenna Ellis and Sidney Powell and Kenny the Cheese got plea deals and as many as seven more co-defendants, including Michael Roman, may have been offered them, Mark Meadows, John Eastman, Rudy Giuliani have not been offered plea deals. On Capitol Hill, everything's going great in the dirtying up of Joe Biden. Chairman Jamie Floby Comer of the House Subcommittee on Obstructing Justice is so happy with how his impeachment of Biden is going that, quote, I don't know that I want to hold any more hearings, to be honest with you. Good call, Fats. A 2016 soundbite from a then-obscure congressman resurfaced last night. A Shreveport radio host decried that, quote, we have two morally bankrupt people, one of whom will be our next president, to which the guest agreed. Quote, we do. The congressman who confirmed that Donald Trump was morally bankrupt is now Speaker of the House Mike Johnson. Surprise! And lastly... And I think tying all this together is the reality that from here on in, Trump will have to deal with one uncontrollable factor, one unceasing Biden asset, Trump's own worst campaign enemy. Trump. Just as Rolling Stone was reporting that Trump has insisted to his advisors that if he again seizes power, he will fulfill his promise of seven and eight years ago to pull this country out of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization to, in effect, kill NATO. Trump was speaking in Iowa, and in between getting proper names wrong and geography wrong, he was reminding us that, whether paid or planted or just a volunteer, he is a Russian agent. And uh, remember the head of a country stood up, said, does that mean that if Russia attacks my country, you will not be there? That's right. That's what it means. I will not protect you. I'm telling you, Biden-Harris 2024, my old man can beat up your old man. Also of interest here, why are advertisements for the National Football League Philadelphia Eagles appearing alongside videos of lunatic Stu Peters, who has just insisted that everybody from Catholic charities should be shot? And speaking of sports, who told you that the World Series was not going to draw 10 million TV viewers? Hmm? Hmm? That's next. This is Countdown. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. This is Sports Center. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. In sports, despite a baseball tradition as old as time itself, ace pitcher Max Scherzer leaving early because part of him stiffened up or got sore or fell off or something, the Texas Rangers beat the Arizona Diamondbacks 3-1 last night to go up 2-1 in the 2023 World Series. Corey Seager's two-run homer keyed a three-run Texas third, and after Scherzer's back tightness, the Texas bullpen pitched six innings of four-hit ball. The Rangers have now won eight straight road games, which is a very impressive streak but which also makes for really dispiriting ball games because obviously the crowds are silenced early. This is all likely to be news to you right now because despite my dire predictions about the TV audience and how it would not respond to how baseball had reduced the World Series from a bitter grudge match between the champions of two rival leagues that had hated each other since 1901, had they taken that and reduced it to... The end of a Byzantine playoff structure that manages to eliminate 10 of the best 11 teams in the sport and was now pitting the Texas Rangers with the seventh best record during the regular season against the Arizona Diamondbacks with the 12th best regular season record and still calling it the World Series for some reason. Even with that, I was overly optimistic about how well it would do on the tube. The 2023 World Series has turned out to have the least watched first game in history. Just 9,172,000 viewers. A rating of 4.6. The Spanish broadcast only got an additional 182,000 viewers. And Friday's game was genuinely terrific and gripping and entertaining and back and forth and dramatic. And even if the teams aren't really the champions of anything... The third game last night was up against Monday Night Football, so there's no hope of a great rating there. The only hope for this being the first World Series to not average fewer than 10 million viewers per game is for the series to go six or seven games. And for that to happen, that means breaking that Texas eight-game road winning streak in Phoenix tonight or tomorrow. (laughs) 
Thank you, Nancy Faust. If baseball feels like somebody's watching it, it's pure paranoia. And in a sad irony of timing, the first superstar in the history of those Texas Rangers died yesterday. In an age of lots of players six foot five or taller, it is hard to imagine just how big Frank Howard seemed as he roamed the outfield for the Dodgers and the Senators and the Rangers and the Tigers in the 60s and the 70s. Maybe the best image you want is one that I always see in my mind about him. It was in the year 1983 when he was a coach and then the manager of the New York Mets. And he used to frequently talk to, on the field, standing alongside his fellow coach, Jim Fry. Frank Howard was six foot seven inches and at least 255 pounds. Jim Fry was five foot nine, maybe, and about 170 pounds. And in those days, Jim Fry was closer to average human-sized. As nice and even as silly as he was towering, Frank Howard hit 382 career home runs, 80 of them in the two years of the pitcher in 1967 and 1968 before they lowered the mound. And he had 116 home runs in seven seasons at RFK Stadium in Washington, a place where, particularly in the 60s, nobody hit home runs. A basketball star at Ohio State before he went into baseball, Frank Howard was 87 years old. Still ahead on Countdown before we close out October. October is the birthday month of one of my favorite people who ever lived. I met him only once, but that one time was so profound, so memorable that when he died, I shocked myself by bursting into tears. His story ahead and things I promise not to tell. First time for the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's... Worst persons in the world. Worse. Boris Johnson, the first fascist since Oswald Mosley to get a real foothold in British politics. The one-time journalist, one-time mayor of London, one-time prime minister of the UK, one-time lame duck prime minister of the UK, after they voted him out of office, has a new job. Anchor and commentator for Britain's GB News, which is like their version of Fox, only the 1996-97 Fox, where they were still pretending to be news and they were pretending they were not trying to destroy their country by sowing division and racism and homophobia. So why is Boris Johnson famously known for a quaff that looks like he did it with a leaf blower, lowering himself to returning to the media? I mean, it's like George W. Bush reading sports scores on Fox Sports 1 or something. Well, the answer is obvious. GB News has its own full-time hairstylist. Worser, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. Did you know he's running for the Republican nomination for president? It's true. Tim went on the Hugh Hewitt radio show. Hugh Hewitt, you know, the man whose family was too poor to afford three different syllables. And Scott said, never mind the polls showing him in fourth place. Quote, we have made the decision that it's Iowa or bust for us, and I'm looking forward to being there. So, to paraphrase the sketch by Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie, bust, double bust, and an extra pint of bust for the weekend. Also, Tim Scott, he comes from a town full of secrets. And worst... The Philadelphia Eagles and the National Football League, along with Elon Musk and Twitter X and the lunatic fascist commentator Stu Peters, you know, Stu Peters, Stu Peters, whose only possible excuse for his commentary on Rumble and online would be tumors. At a live event Saturday, Peters said that the outfit Catholic Charities helps to, quote, coach illegals on how to get admitted here. 
He went on to say, we need troops on the border that will shoot people that are trying to invade our country. That'd be a good first step. But you know what a better second step would be? Shooting everyone involved with these fake charities, unquote. So this psychotic Stu Peters is calling for the mass murder of people who work for Catholic charities. Well, what's that got to do with the Philadelphia Eagles and the NFL? Well, the watchdog group Media Matters reports that Musk's Twitter X, which gave Peters a blue checkmark, again, that's Peters who's advocating murdering Catholic charities workers, shooting them a couple of days after a mass shooting. And next to one of his posts in which Stu Peters calls for violence on video, Elon Musk has placed an ad for the Philadelphia Eagles and the National Football League. The team and the league has so far done nothing about that juxtaposition, and it easily can stop advertising with Elon effing Musk. Break him. So until the Eagles disassociate themselves from Stu Peters and Twitter X and Elon Musk, it's Stu Peters calling for murdering Catholic charities workers, sponsored by your Philadelphia Eagles, today's worst persons in the world. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, the number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic, me and things from my career and my life. And it is to me amazing, even after all this time, that you could meet somebody just once in your life, but years later be moved to tears upon learning of their death. Then again, the man in question was named Walter Matthau. And if he was not the most popular American comedic actor of the last half of the 20th century, he was close to it. And maybe more importantly, he was the most skilled, minimal touch American actor of the last half of the 20th century. In other words, he was the man who on stage or on camera seemed to be doing the least amount of actual acting while still keeping you utterly convinced that the guy you saw on the screen was not Walter Matthau, but was Oscar Madison. And was not Walter Matthau, but was Max Goldman. And was not Walter Matthau, but was Willie Gingrich. And was not Walter Matthau, but was Mel Miller. Even though Mel Miller had a southern accent, smoked a pipe, had horn-rimmed glasses, and supposedly went to Vanderbilt. We all knew Walter Matthau. 
It felt like we knew him personally because he managed a miracle every time he performed. It was all him up there, and yet, at the same time, it was not him at all. Anyway, October 1st was his birthday, which is what brought this extraordinary man to the front of my mind again. I will get to my meeting with him. First, Walter Matthau's best friends as an adult were his partner in half a dozen films, Jack Lemmon, and my dear friend Norman Lloyd the one-man history of Hollywood who we lost in 2021 at the age of 106. Norman loved Walter, and Norman loved talking about Walter, and there was an amazing amount of things to talk about about Walter. Norman told me that on the last of the Grumpy Old Men movies that he and Lemon made together, I think it was called Grumpy Old Men Were Doing This for the Money, Mathau wanted to wrap up one day of shooting quickly. He was scheduled to film a scene in a water slide made up to look like a sewer through which his character was escaping. As the lunch break was called, he said to Lemon, Come on, Jack, let's go rehearse the water slide thing. This way we can do it in one take. Get the hell out of here. Anyway, don't you have to wait an hour after eating before you can shoot through a sewer? They went to the sewer water slide set. Walter Mathau grabbed the raft he was supposed to ride and he jumped in. As he went through it, he studied all the corners and where the cameras would be so he knew where to make his faces. And seconds later, he was shooting out the far end of the water slide onto the giant inflatable 12-foot square air mattress placed there to break his fall. Or he would have been doing that, except it was lunch, and the Teamsters had deflated the mattress and then moved it away because the set was on lunch break. So Walter Matthau, then 73 years old, came flying out of the water slide onto the pavement. He broke his collarbone, which is just about as painful a thing as you can break. No! Walter Matthau screamed. Jack Lemmon raced over to him. Walter, Walter, are you all right? No, I'm not, Jack. Call 911. Ow! Ow! Lemon panicked. Can I help you, Walter? Can I, can I get you something, Walter? Yes, Jack, get me 911. Ow! Ow! Lemon continued to panic. But, but, but till they come, are you okay? Walter, are you comfortable? Walter Matthau was in sheer agony, but he realized through the fog of pain that one of the oldest jokes in show business was actually happening to him, finally, in real life. Am I comfortable? Uh, uh, I make a nice living, Jack. Ow! Ow! My friend Norman Lloyd used to go hiking with Walter Matthau in the Hollywood Hills, and he told me that one day Walter was unusually quiet. The two had gone a mile or so when Matthau suddenly stopped and grabbed Norman by the arm. Normie, did you know at the end Beethoven was so deaf he thought he was painting? Norman smiled, snorted, and started to say that it was the dumbest thing he'd ever heard. But halfway through Norman's sentence, Matthau had already turned away from him and was back walking again. Another mile passed in silence, and now Matthau slowed down and faced his friend. Normie, this is important. I have something to tell you. Norman said his heart skipped. He thought there was something wrong. What is it, Walter? Did you know at the end Beethoven was so deaf he thought he was painting? Now Norman just shook his head. As they completed their five-mile hike through the hills, Matthau stopped roughly once every mile and repeated the same line. Did you know at the end Beethoven was so deaf he thought he was painting? Norman told me it totally unnerved me When we got back to where we parked our cars, I felt like I had to avenge myself somehow, so I blurted out to him, Walter, did you know at the end Beethoven was so deaf he thought he was painting? Norman said Matthau looked at him, screwing his great craggy face into a resentful sneer as he did. What the hell are you talking about? Thought he was painting. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. As I said, I met Walter Matthau once. When I was a local sportscaster in Los Angeles, I was invited to host a charity event at the Hollywood Park Racetrack. I ordinarily did not do these things because to do them, I would have to take the day off. But when the organizer said, oh, and and Walter Matthau will be there, I just asked for directions. First time I had ever imagined what it was like to be a sports writer or to be a sports broadcaster, it was when I was nine years old and I saw Walter Matthau portray Oscar Madison in the movie The Odd Couple. It was exactly what I wanted to be and where I wanted to live and how I wanted to eat. And I wanted to get a chance to tell him that. 
So at the charity dinner, I screwed up my courage. I introduced myself. I told him all that, and he replied, I hate you. I was so crushed, I almost passed out. And clearly, Walter Matthau recognized this. No, 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 I don't hate your work. I watch you every night on Channel 2 Action News, you and, and Jim Lampley and Bree Lampley and Jim Lampley. But I hate the fact that you don't have an accent of any kind. Where are you raised? Iowa? I did not know where this conversation was going. I said I was from the Bronx originally. Is that right? I'm from Brooklyn? Could you tell? The hell kind of speech teacher did you have yet? You sound like Iowa. I explained my father had said that if I wanted to go into broadcasting, I could not talk, quote, like the rest of us. Walter looked away from me and then back, and he said, Very wise words. Your father was a speech teacher? No, I said, architect. His eyes flared. How in the hell does that work? I started to explain when it suddenly dawned on me that we were discussing this only because he said he hated the fact that I did not have an accent. I asked him why. No accent means I can't do an impression of you. Well, this caused me to pause. Impressions? This is 1991. In 1991, Walter Matthau was one of the top five most impersonated voices in America. Anybody who did impressions, good or bad, professional or amateur, anybody did a Walter Matthau. You did your Sammy Davis, your Howard Cosell, your Walter Matthau. Wait, I said to him, you do impressions of sportscasters? Yes, he said proudly. Would you like to hear them? I said, I'll pay cash. I don't normally do these, but seeing you are in the business, I, I will. Just for you. Uh, I practice these a lot, by the way. Twenty years later, Norman Lloyd confirmed for me, Mathau did do sportscaster impressions. He did practice them a lot. This was not some sort of bit. Now, back in 1991, Mathau cleared his throat. He shook his shoulders. Let's start with the best. And it sounds something like this. Hello, everybody. This is Vin Scully at Dodger Stadium. What do you think? It sounded exactly like Walter Matthau. Didn't sound like Vin Scully. It didn't even sound like a bad impression of Vin Scully. It didn't even sound like a bad impression of Walter Matthau. It was, it was just Walter Matthau talking. Thinking quickly, I said, Uncanny, Mr. Matthau. Thank you. I work on Vinny especially hard. He's my favorite. Now the big mouth. Hello again. This is Howard Cosell at ringside. How about that one? I think I got most of the inflection. Goodness, Mr. Matthau, it's like he's in the room with us. This went on for many minutes. Kurt Gowdy, Chick Hearn, Al Michaels, several local L.A. radio announcers. I cursed myself for not having brought a tape recorder with me. Walter Matthau did impressions of sportscasters, and they were all terrible. But he said he couldn't do one of me because I had no accent. I was complimented and crushed. After a very nice event saluting his friend and neighbor in the front row seats at the Laker games, Dr. Robert Curlin, we called it an evening, and as everybody got up to leave, I asked Walter Matthau to autograph my program from the dinner. My pleasure, he said. Nice work tonight. But I still don't get how your father, the architect, was also a speech teacher, but never mind. In the program, he wrote this. Listen, Keith, quit kidding around. No, don't. Walter Matthau. It was lovely. And then he did something that took my breath away something I have tried to do any time circumstances permitted me to. He picked up his program, he handed it to me, and he said, Now, you sign mine. Can you believe that? I only met him the one time. But that gesture stayed with me to such a degree that this happened. Nine years later, I woke up at the crack of dawn to go host the baseball game of the week at Fox Studios in L.A. It was Saturday morning, July 1st, 2000. It was nine years and about two weeks after I met Walter Matthau. And on the all-news radio station, there was one big story that morning in Los Angeles. Overnight, the great actor Walter Matthau had died, heart attack, aged 79. I burst into tears.
Since we're talking Walter Matthau and his impressions, my impression of Walter Matthau, my favorite line from the movie The Odd Couple, from the first day I saw it, eight years old and I started saying this in school. You ready? Why doesn't he hear me? I know I'm talking. I recognize my voice. Done all the damage I can do here. Thank you for listening. Countdown has come to you from the Vin Scully Studios at the Old Roman Broadcasting Empire in New York. Vin and Walter Matthau were good friends. Countdown musical directors Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel arranged, produced, and performed most of our music. Mr. Chanel handled the orchestration and the keyboards. Mr. Ray was on guitars, bass, and drums, and it was all produced by TKO Brothers. Other music, including other Beethoven tunes, arranged and performed by the group No Horns Allowed. The sports music is courtesy of ESPN Inc. It was written by Mitch Warren Davis. We call it the Olbermann theme from ESPN 2. Our satirical and pithy musical comments are by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. My announcer today was my friend Kenny Maine. Everything else was pretty much my fault. So that's Countdown for this, the 1,029th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Convict him now while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow. Bulletins as the news warrants. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.